0: So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. The end. you got to be kidding me, right? I mean, come on, Mark. That can't be the end of your gospel. How unsatisfying, how incomplete. If you read along today, as good Christians should, in your Bibles, and not in that insert we provide, I know what you're thinking. This is not the end, Pastor. There are 12 more verses after verse 8, and, well, yeah, you're right, sort of. Indeed, in most of our Bibles, there is more. Beyond this ending, more to the story, keep reading past verse 8 and you'll find a heading like the shorter ending of Mark. Or after that, the longer ending of Mark. Keep reading below and you'll find a footnote that'll say something like most ancient authorities do not include these verses. Well, what's with the seminary class this morning? Well, it turns out early Christians... We're just as unsatisfied with the ending of Mark as we are today. Scholars are pretty much in agreement that about 200 years after Mark finished his gospel, there were some monks, perhaps, who were copying the gospel by hand as they did to disperse more copies in the churches. And when they got to the end of Mark, they thought, with us, you've got to be kidding, Mark. And so they took it upon themselves to clean up Mark's mess. They wrote a new ending, gathering together pieces from other gospels and from the Acts of the Apostles, closing off what Mark left so wide open. It is unsettling. But Mark is not kidding. This is the end of his gospel. And well, it's even worse since we're in seminary class this morning. It's even worse when you read it in the original Greek. In the original language, it reads quite literally, they said nothing to nobody. They were afraid for the end. Yes, you heard that right. Grammaticians, beware a double negative and a sentence. Well, actually a book ending in a preposition. Now, yes, Pretty bad, but such grammatical sins were more easily forgiven in the Greek than in English. But still, still, who would end this story in this way? They said nothing to nobody. They were afraid for. It's like Candle's Messiah without the hallelujah chorus. A joke without the punchline. It's, it's an affair to remember except Cary Grant is left alone on the top of the Empire State Building and the credits roll. They were afraid for. Where is the earthquake that rolls the stone away? Where is the risen Christ embracing the women in the garden? Where is Jesus appearing in the upper room showing the wounds in his hands and in his feet and his side? Where is Jesus on that mountaintop commissioning his apostles right before he goes and ascends to heaven? Where is the happy ending, that bow tied neatly on the greatest story ever told. Christ is risen. Christ has risen indeed. And they said nothing to nobody, for they were afraid. That is no way to run a resurrection. Where is the good news? I mean, it is. Easter, after all, we've come searching for good news. Why the buzzkill this morning? Our world is hard, and there is so much reason to give up hope. We need a triumphal ending to the story, a resurrected Christ beating his way through the stone, embracing us, welcoming us, telling us all will be okay. We need good news this morning. We've been watching the news all week as we hear more and more unfold in the story of this German airplane that landed, that crashed into the Alps. All evidence points to the co-pilot intentionally running the plane into the side of the mountain. And they were saying this weekend, it seems as if he was accelerating as they went down, killing all 150 people on board. Who could do such a thing? We need good news this morning. Because we've been watching the news this week from Kenya. Yesterday, a Somalia extremist group issued a warning. Kenyan cities will run red with blood, it said. This comes after that same group massacred 148 college students, most of them Christians, as they sat in their university. The threat issued yesterday suggests that more terror is on the way, an attack that was said to be retribution for Somali rebels that were killed by the Kenyan troops. But nothing could have earned such a massacre of innocence. We need good news this morning. Now pile all the bad news in the world on top of the regular, everyday bad news of life, heartbreak, cancer, pain, rejection, loss, death. We need good news today. Someone, someone, anyone, please tack on a happily ever after ending to this gospel story. No, no, this is no way to conduct a resurrection. The preacher Tom Long tells a story, a story of a seminary student who had his own class in the Gospel of Mark, like us this morning, and he decided after the class, as you probably will this morning, to memorize the entire Gospel, but not just that. He decided to perform the Gospel live before an audience, with the difficult, abrupt ending and all. At his first performance, Long tells us that after he spoke that ambiguous last verse that we just read, he just stood there awkwardly shifting from one foot to the other, the audience waiting for that satisfying ending for closure. And finally, after he stood for several anxious seconds, he just blurted out, Amen. And everyone cheered. The relieved audience breathed deeply and applauded loudly. They were glad for the closure. But it didn't feel right to the student. By giving the audience a satisfying ending, he felt like he betrayed the gospel of Mark's intention. So, Long tells us, at the next performance, when he reached that final verse, he simply paused for half a beat and left the stage in silence. When the audience left, you could... Feel their discomfort and uncertainty. All the talk of this performance centered around this unsatisfying, incomplete ending. We can try to clean up Mark's mess this morning, but all evidence suggests this is how he intended his gospel to end. He wants us to feel discomfort and unease at this story. He intends for the resurrection to jolt us out of our comfort zones and perhaps, perhaps even to terrify us. Maybe it's good for us. I mean, it's been a long time since Christ has made anyone uncomfortable. I checked yesterday on Facebook. As of then, Jesus Christ had 11 million. 932,448 likes. Now, that's almost, well, not quite, as many as Taylor Swift, but still, still, it's pretty impressive for someone who lived so long ago. It's hard to see how Jesus, with his 11 million fans on Facebook alone, could ever have been so disruptive, so confrontational that his religious leaders thought the only way to deal with him was to put him on a cross. It's a tragedy, this story. It's heartbreaking, yes, but what do you do? I mean, this is the way life is, isn't it? It's hard and depressing. Good guys don't win. Rome wins. As the women walked to the tomb with that in their mind on that morning, they asked themselves, who will roll the stone away? But maybe the better question is, who wants the stone to be rolled away? Perhaps that's the way they would have rather than just stay. The stone packed tightly on the front of the tomb. We couldn't anoint Jesus. I mean, we tried. We did our best. At least we showed up while the men fled. But the stone, well, the stone was in the way. If that was the way it went, then they could have just gone home. Never having to face Jesus and face their pain again. They could have begun to pick up the pieces of their life, to move on. Their hope was buried with him. And that's how they knew it would stay. They learned the lesson the hard way. Don't get your hopes up. Don't believe in the impossible. And just as they were learning that lesson, they entered into the garden and there they saw it. They were ready to turn their backs, to go home. But there it is, the stone, not in the way, but out of the way. It's gone. And against their better judgment, they start investigating, stick their heads inside. He's gone too. And that's when they hear the voice. They didn't even notice the man in white sitting there. Don't be alarmed, he said, for surely they were. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. But he has been raised. He's not here. Look, there's the place they laid him. But go, go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going ahead of you to Galilee, just as he told you. There, there you will see him. And they're terrified. I mean, who wouldn't be this story? It is unsettling. But did you hear what the man actually said? He says, go, go tell the disciples. And who are the disciples? Well, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, we remember from Sunday school, yes. But not just them. You, me, he's talking to us. We are disciples too. This message from the tomb is sent to us as well. Go and tell his disciples that he's going ahead of us. Jesus has gone to Galilee, he says. And where is Galilee? Well, I think I remember from Sunday school too, about what, 120 miles or so from Jerusalem. I was a good Sunday school student. But Galilee's also where Mark began the whole story of Jesus. If you remember, way back to chapter one, months ago, we read when we first met Jesus. There it was. In Galilee, that's where Mark begins the story. Jesus came to Galilee, he says, proclaiming the good news of God and saying the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. That was the beginning. And this ending, it is no ending at all, as unsettling as it is. Mark's ending is a beginning, a new beginning. And the man in white is inviting us all on a journey, a journey away from empty tombs. For that is no place to find risen Christ. But a journey back into Galilee, back to where it all began. That's where Jesus is. But this time we go with new eyes, with post-resurrection eyes. We see differently this time. Galilee looks a lot like our lives. Where we work and where we play, there's Jesus. Where we pay taxes and vote and make our home, there's Jesus. This is our Galilee. This is our story. And there is Jesus alive here and now. He has been raised and he is here. Now things aren't perfect. Death has been dealt a blow, but death still stands. But we can begin to see the end. Glimpses of resurrection are all around. Often it's hidden just like it was in the story the first time, but it's happening. It's happening more every day. Here in our Galilee, eyes, are being opened Here, in our Galilee, people are hearing the good news. Here, right here, demons of oppression and injustice are being cast out. Here, powers of death and hate are being confronted with the resurrected power of God's amazing love. Can you see it? Well, sometimes, we, like Jesus' first disciples, don't see it. At least not at first. Sometimes we turn our backs on it. Often, we betray it and deny it. Sometimes we are terrified into silence. We aren't any more used to a post-resurrection world than they were on that first Easter Sunday. Yet, this is the world we live in. This is our lives here and now. The dead being raised? You've got to be kidding me. It's much hard, it's hard to believe, much less to proclaim. Yet who among us cannot testify today to this presence? Who among us has not felt the resurrected living power of Christ at work in your life? Christ has risen. Christ has risen indeed. And he is here, maybe hidden, but alive, his hand healing all the broken places of our world and our world is hungry to hear and believe this good news. Will we find our nerve? Are we ready to speak it? Well, the women this morning, I get why they're afraid. We get why they flee and why they cannot speak. But give them some time. Just give them a few days. Soon, soon they will find their nerve. Soon, soon they will speak. And when they do, well, let's just say we're going to be talking about their amazing news even 2,000 years later. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand now as we sing our hymn, Christ Arose.